verse 14 uh, is an amazing verse because Paul is speaking to the Galatians. And the Galatian church we know was a series of house churches that Paul had planted in Lycus Valley. And they had started in grace. They had started in the grace message. They started in the grace of God. And that's how they were born. They were born into the grace message. And uh, before the service, I was talking to this one brother. And we just talked for about an hour just about grace and about the finished work and how the flesh profits nothing and how in John 6, verse 63, that it's a spirit that gives life and the flesh profits nothing. Our flesh, our religious nature, is looking for a program. Uh, it really likes to have a program because by default we are guilty people. We feel guilty, don't we? We wake up in the morning sometimes feeling guilty. <laughs> we go to bed at night think, feeling guilty, especially if you're a parent. It doesn't matter if you're a parent or not. This, we can feel guilty about things. And God wants to or God has provided a provision for a conscience that has not been regenerated by the finished work and by the miraculous work of God. Uh, a lot of times Christians live in their conscience most of the day, and they don't even realize it, in their unregenerated conscience. They live in the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil, right? And what tree was that? That was... Genesis chapter 2, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that tree is not the tree that you and I have been called to. We have not been called to uh, eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because when we eat the fruit of that tree, uh, we're only experiencing uh, the knowledge of what is right in my life and what's wrong in my life. And how many of us have ever lived in that uh, psychoanalysis of our lives, what's right in my life and what's not right in my life, and what I need to work on. And whenever we start thinking in that, in that realm, we can be assured that the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is not the center of my soul and is not the center of my frame of reference. The cross, what that does is it crucifies all of my best, and it crucifies all of my worst. Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, what was wrong with Cain's offering? Do you remember? Why was, it, why was Cain's offering rejected? It was his own hands. It was his own production, wasn't it? The fruit of his own labor. God rejected it. There are Christians today that teach that Cain's offering was rejected because it was not his best but God is not looking for our best because God knows what the best can be in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. The best of the flesh is what? A whole long list of just murder, envy, lying, just we all know what that is. But the cross comes into our life and it, it judges things. We can see the cross functioning already in Genesis chapter 2 with Cain's, with Cain's offering, can't we? The cross judged... Cain's offering, and was rejected. God rejected Cain's offering. And so whenever we get into this mode of feeling um, dissatisfied with ourselves or discontent with ourselves, or we feel guilty, or we feel, uh, or we're not fellowshipping with the tree of life, then we get into one of two 
extremes in our life. We get into the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good, all the good things I'm doing for my family, all the good things I'm doing at work, all the good things I'm doing for myself, all the good things I'm doing today that I wasn't doing before. And that's beautiful because we've been created unto good works in Ephesians chapter 2. But then we could also get into the other extreme of things, all the bad things, all the things that I'm not doing right. Whenever you and I meditate on what is not right in our life and what we are not doing right, we are wasting our time. And it's idle, it's idle time. It's vanity. It is, it is, it is not an edifying um, meditation. David said this, let the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto you, O Lord. I love that because David was thinking, not on the level of behavior, but he was thinking on the level of his heart attitude. Much of Christianity today, and much of what we see on TV, unfortunately, and although it's amazing that we have so much Christianity and Christian programs on our TV and radio, much of it is just modification of, of our behavior, isn't it? Behavioral modification. All it, it's all it is. It's just, uh, you know, and then also, um, and then maybe some of it's a little bit more deeper and it addresses our belief system. But whether it's behavioral modification or changing your core values or our belief system or our, our attitudes, it's not dealing with the core issue. And the core issue is an unconverted heart, an unregenerated mind and a spirit that's not been quickened inside of us, right? I like the words John 6, verse 63. It says that the flesh profits nothing. There's no profit in the flesh. I mean, yeah, I mean, we can work hard and we get a paycheck. That's profit. But in the kingdom of God, his economy is totally different. The economy of God does not function on work, labor equals a paycheck. In the kingdom of God, it works like this. Trust and abide. And that's what... When we trust and abide in a finished work, in John chapter, uh, John chapter um, six, I believe verse twenty-eight. What are the works of God that we may do them? Were the the disciples asked. The answer was, believe. And this is the cross. The cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he first in John ten verse four fulfilled the entire law. That was step one. He, he, entired, he entirely fulfilled the whole Judaic law. He fulfilled it. And he was the first human being to ever fulfill the whole law. He never lied. He never cheated. He never stole. He never committed adultery, etc., etc., etc. And so he is the only one that has the authority and the right and the power to bring in a new law, right? Or to bring in a new economy, correct? Can you imagine someone coming in and saying, okay, I'm going to abolish the Mosaic law because it doesn't work, but that person doesn't have the authority to do that without first fulfilling it fully, correct? Jesus fulfilled the entire law, so now he brings in a brand new law, and that is, what is that? It's a new, brand new heart, and this is Hebrews chapter 10, and he said that in Hebrews chapter 10, teaching is, is that the Old Covenant was laws and rules and regulations. But the new covenant is, is that God was going to put this in the heart. And God gives us a brand new heart. In uh, Jeremiah, I believe, 7 verse 20, it says that I will give you a new heart to know me. 
God has given us the frequency, the equipment to know him. He's given us a new heart. And he's given us a new mind. And this new mind in Ephesians 4.23 needs to be renewed. And our heart needs to be strengthened. And our mind needs to be renewed every day. And it only happens at the cross. The cross is where I understand that every deficit in my life, everything that I know that is right, that it's not happening in my life, everything that, every teaching that I ever received as a Christian that is not a reality in my life yet is already completed in Christ and I can rest that I have that righteousness and I have that spirit of righteousness in my life. So whether I'm, a, whether I'm failing as a Christian today or whether I'm living in total victory and power in my life, my status in the eyes of God doesn't change. There are some people that might have a problem with that because they may say, well, you're teaching living that grace is a license to sin. We don't need to balance that because if we're fellowshipping with, two, with true grace, we don't want to sin. It's just that we can't, we can't imagine living in... And when we do sin, we are so grieved. I mean, before we could sin without being grieved. But then when Christ came into our life and the Holy Spirit came into our life, now when we sin, we're so grieved. And so we're so, like, personally grieved. And I want to preach a message on that sometime about grieving the Holy Spirit. Because you can't grieve the law. You can only grieve a person. And you, can, you cannot... Um, you can only grieve something or someone that is sensitive. And there's a lot of other interesting things about grieving. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, listen to this, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You know, when we go into the world, when we go shopping, we go to Home Depot, go to work or whatever, we go to the shopping center, get on Route 95 or, you know, some of these interesting highways. Uh... I just got to remember that the, that the blue route is crucified unto me. <laughs> East County Line Road is crucified unto me. I am, you know, it's, I'm, it is crucified unto me. It has, it has no power in my life because there's a cross. It's, the cross means that Jesus already did it. He, he struggled the struggle and won. Now there's no struggle in my life. There is just rest. And it's like, okay, Rom, okay Romans chapter 7. Um, Paul said... I don't do what I, I don't do what's right, and, but I want to do it. Uh, but I do the things that are not right, and I don't want to do that. Paul was living in a struggle in his life, but what did he say? He said, there is therefore now no condemnation. We have to come to that point in our Christianity where we say, I am a hopeless wretch, un, uh, un, you know, I cannot help myself. And the New Age, the message of the Antichrist, you know what the message of the Antichrist is in 1 John chapter 4? You know what that is? The Antichrist is the gospel. You know what it is? It's self-improvement without a cross. That's what it is. You can better yourself. You can change yourself. And it's a conservative message. It's a moral message. It's a, it's a message that is a noble message. People could say, well, that's good. You've done a good thing. You've turned your life around. You've become a better husband. You've become a better wife. You've become a better, a better person in your family. But the message of the Antichrist is, let's look at this in 1 John chapter 4. Very interesting verse. And this is the message of the Antichrist. The Antichrist will come, and he won't be a person walking around with, in a red suit with horns or the pitchfork. That, I believe the Antichrist will be a very moral man, probably 
the epitome of conservatism. He'll be a very conservative person, and, and his message will be very conservative and moral. And he will be he will be um, he'll be Trump he'll be the the, the he'll be um, trumping the the message of, of 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 victory and patriotism and and uh, loving your neighbor. And he actually may even utilize the Old Testament law in in a revived way. But it says in First John chapter four and uh, verse two: Hereby know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is coming, that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is of God. Okay, every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. Now, what does that mean? Jesus Christ came in the flesh to do one thing. What was that in John chapter four? To do to to do His Father's will, right? And what was that will to take up a cross? The central message of Jesus Christ is not his miracles and it's not his goodness. The central message of the life of Christ was the cross. The cross message. The cross and resurrection. Victory over death. And so any message that's not the cross of Christ, then that's a message of the Antichrist. And it sounds a little bit, well, that sounds a little extreme, but, you know, when we talk and we worship God, and I was listening to Christian radio on the way up here and, you know, it's great music, and we understand what's being said. We believe that God changes lives today. But, but how does God change a person's life? Through a cross. Jesus, God did not change people's lives in the Old Testament through the, through the, through the law. And one of the things that people really struggle with today, and we can do this also when we're not filled with the Spirit, is how do I experience change and growth in my life? And we get on ourselves with religious programs, and we forget the very central, centrical message of the, of the gospel, and that's a cross, where all of our sins were paid for in the flesh. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, paying for sin in the flesh, bearing it to the cross, dying for the penalty of sin, and that, that if, he, if Jesus was a normal man, that would have been the end of the story. It would have been a noble story. But Jesus rose from the dead, which tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15, that death has no more power and has no more sting in our lives. And so I can, be, I can live as a Christian at peace with myself, in one sense, believing that although I don't have perfect, uh, perfect victory in every area of my life, Yet God is leading me down the road to perfection, but I'm already perfected in Christ. And we call this imparted righteousness and imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness means that God has given us this righteousness at the moment we believed. And there is no second blessing in, in, the, in, the, in Paul's epistles. There is no um, second experience that we have to have as a believer. When you and I believed on Christ whether we experienced something or did not experience something, we were born again at that moment. We, were, we became participators in salvation. And then from that moment, for the rest of our lives and for the rest of eternity, we will be growing into the reality of that. That this cross is the cross that sets us free. You know what sets me free from the power of sin? Is when I understand that that 
like Paul said in Romans chapter 7, that when... Because remember, the law only, the law only brings in the, the consciousness and awareness of sin, right? Paul said that before I knew the law, I lived. But when the law came in and I became aware of what's not right and what's wrong, then I died. Because he said, I became very aware and very conscious of, of sin and my inabilities and my limitations and my failures, correct? But when Christ came in and fulfilled the law, there's a new law in my life in Romans 8, verse 1 and 2, and that's the spirit of the law of life. And that's what I want to talk about just for the last few minutes here, is that we have the new law of the spirit of life functioning in us. That, you know, whenever we grieve the Holy Spirit, we can just go to God and say, God, I grieved you. And that grieves me that I'm that, that, but God, you have to lead me out of it. Quicken me according to thy word, Psalm 119. It's like, you know, we can get very upset at our moral status, uh, at our moral condition. We can get very upset about the way things are not going in my family the way they should be. And and we could say, I know better. And of course, we all know better. Unsaved people have the law in their conscience. Uh, The Gentiles have the law in their conscience that even though they're not saved, they know they are sinners. But you know something? When we discover a finished work that the cross has crucified all of my best and all of my worst, then a new law takes over, and that's the spirit of life. And that's the the law of the spirit of life that is greater than the spirit of the law of sin and death. The cross is really uh, the center of my relationships. It's the center of our church. It's the center of our ministry. It's the center of our vision. It's the center of all of my dreams. It's the center of my family. Maybe we have people in our families that are not believers, that are not really disciples, that are not walking with God. But we can reflect to them a cross because the cross is the cross has two sides to it as well. The cross has a side of death and burial and and decimation where the where the cross nothing can escape the cross. The cross Nothing escapes death. The cross is the marker of where it all ended. But the cross has another side, and that's the side of resurrection, where love cannot be, and grace cannot be killed, and it cannot be ended. The cross on a practical level is, and I was thinking about this, I woke up this morning and I was thinking about this, that... um, We've been talking about Jonathan and David, and I want to talk about this more on Sunday, but relationships always reveal to me a lot of relationships in our lives can really give us a good picture of where we're at in reality. Uh, whether I'm married or not, it, any time that I get close to people, uh, I am going to discover things about myself needs that I have in my soul that are being met and that are not being met. There are needs in your soul that maybe are being met in your church or in your family or not being met in your church or in your family. Somebody may say, well, I don't feel like my needs are being met in that church. I feel that I have needs. Somebody said this to me uh, some time ago. They said, I, I don't feel that my needs are being met 
I don't feel that I'm getting the recognition that I need or the, I'm not getting the, you know, I'm not getting what I think is due to, due to me. And whenever, you know, whenever, whenever we think in those lines, then the cross is no longer central. The cross is now something that is just a part of my theology, but it's not a part of, it's not something that I've taken up. My church, my relationships, my marriage, my family, wherever I'm at in relationships is always going to reveal where I'm at. And so what if, I'm, if, if we are in a relationship situation where we do not feel that our needs are being met? It can happen. Because no human being is ever going to be able to fulfill your needs. Ever. They may for a while, it may be awesome. You may be having a, you may have an ama- amazing marriage, an amazing family, but it, it may not continue forever and it could change. Who knows? I don't want to be pessimistic, but to put on someone else the burden of them being responsible to fulfill your and my needs is going to bring a curse on that relationship. It's going to just shut it down, Right? How many of us have ever experienced expectations from other people on us that we feel that we have to provide, especially in a role? Like, okay, well, and this is also another problem that can happen in relationships is that when we start functioning in roles instead of our portion in Christ, um, and that can just shut down a relationship, it can shut down a family, it can shut down a marriage. The cross comes into our relationships and I may get, we may get up, and I'm not, I'm not preaching at you, I'm just making a point here, is that it could be that we get upset about something that I'm not feeling I'm getting from my church. Well, I don't get recognized or, uh, I, you know, this happened and I, and no one ever, justice was never done in that situation and that, that situation happened in the church and Justice was never done by people that were involved, and it still today is undone, or, you know, my kid was mistreated, or, or, or my wife wasn't done, or whatever it could be, from A to Z. Something could happen in a, in a church, and we could feel that, some, that justice has not been done. And we've all felt that way. We've all experienced that numerous times where something happens, and we feel justice has not been done. That's when we have to go to the cross and say, okay, justice has happened at the cross. And what does that mean practically? It means this, that if I feel that I need something from a person or from from wherever I'm at, at work or from something or another person, I need to take that expectation and I need to say, I need to bring it to God. I need to say, God, I have a legitimate need um, in my soul and... If you and I have needs in our soul, we can't just say, okay, I don't have that need. It's fine. I'm just going gonna, gonna to press on. I'm going to drive on. I'm just going to push forward. But that need, if it's never addressed by the cross and by doctrine, by Bible teaching, then what will happen is that we will become, we're going to become, well, it's gonna be, there's going to be infection there and we can be deceived. We need to go to God and say, God, I have this need. And so... Um, I am going to derive from the Bible. I'm going to derive from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to derive from the cross that which I need. Okay, 
and I'm going to talk about this on, on, on Sunday, but there are, there are six um, languages that I can count, six languages of love that I can count, six of them. I've heard there's five, I've heard there's four, but I count six. There's also six lust patterns, six patterns of, of um, uh, in a person's soul that can drive a person in six different ways. And I just was studying this morning, and it's really fascinating to see how God has a language for every desire that we have in our soul. And I want to talk about it on Sunday. We can go to God, and we can hear God speak to us in a language that we need to hear. Do I need to be loved? Do I need to hear words of encouragement? Well, I don't get encouraged from so-and-so. Well, I need to go to God and get encouraged. And I need to get that encouragement from the Bible. Um, And it just could be, and I thought of this the other day, you know, we work with people. We're all sinners saved by grace, aren't we? We work with people that are, you know, saved sinners. And sometimes it can be that I feel or that you may feel that you're not getting what you need out of something. But when we, and and when that happens, we have to be very honest with ourselves. We can't, we, because the tendency is this, is to say, is to ignore that and to not address it and and not, not to let the word address it and not be honest and say, well, I think it should be this way, and it's not this way, and it's not this way in my family, and I feel that I'm being, you know, I'm not being, um, getting what I need. And so I'm going to have, I'm going to, I just, I withdraw, or I take on this attitude which is not edifying for myself, and it's not building me up, and it's not building up other people. And that can be, that can just, that can hurt us so much. The cross, when Jesus said, if any man will follow me, he must take up his cross. And I'm going to finish with this, his cross. It's really awesome because there are defects in our personalities and in our souls that only, the, only a personal cross can, can convert and heal. We have a cross that's fitted for us. And when we buy clothes, we have to buy clothes that fit us, Right? We can't have clothes that don't fit us. They can't be too big or too small. The cross, just like David's slingshot, was fitted for him. It's something that is fitted for David. It's fitted for us. The cross is something that knows our needs. It knows our desires. It knows our wants. And it's been fitted for us. That means there are defects maybe in my personality that, or maybe there are defects in my soul that can only be healed by understanding, number one, Here's the defect, okay? Uh, maybe I get lonely or something. I have this defect, and it's not really a defect, but it's, it can become a defect if I don't comfort myself with the presence of God. But if I don't take on the cross, a personal cross, and apply the word in my soul, then what's going to happen is, is that I'm going to grow in bitterness, and I'm going to start to get on this fellowship with the wrong tree in my life. I'm going to start fellowshipping with the tree of what's right and what's wrong. This is all right and this is all wrong. But at the tree of life, we know the tree of life is the cross of Jesus Christ. All the bad and all the wrong is crucified. And we can just be life to people. We don't have to live in this sense of unexecuted justice and to go into a um, situation when I have this feeling that something has not been completed, I just have to understand, you know what? 
maybe justice has not been served in this situation. Maybe, maybe I've been unjustly treated, or maybe I'm not getting what I need out of this relationship. But I can go in with the cross. I can take up my cross and say, you know what? My cross says that Jesus is all I need in my life. And if I was to ask us tonight, what is our greatest need? What is our greatest need? What do we need more than everything else? Um, here's, another, here's another way to phrase the question. John chapter 4, what is my meat, my sustenance? My meat in my life is to do the will of the Father. It's God's will. What is God's will? And that's the, that is the cross. And that cross, will, every time I go to the cross and say, you know what, God, I was expecting from that person or that circumstance or this, this group this. I needed this. Sometimes people will join a church because they're... Uh, I, <laughs> I talked to one guy in Baltimore, and you know, this was years ago, and he said, I'm, I'm, I'm coming into your church because there's a lot of good-looking girls, Christian girls in your church, and I want to find a good wife. I said, well, that, you know... I mean, you know, it's probably God's plan, and you don't have to get married. And, but you can't come into a group of people with this unmet need and, and not put it on God, because when you put it on other people, then what will happen is, is that they're going to feel that soul power and that weight, and they're going to not have the freedom of the Spirit, because there's soul power and there's no cross there. And so... We have a cross that's fitted for us. It fits us. It's perfect for us. It's our prescription. It's our spiritual prescription that heals us. And we can go to, the, we can go to God and say, God, I'm lonely. God, I'm, I'm mad. God, I think that this, need, this, needed to be, this, this justice needed to be exacted in this situation, and it's left undone. If there are things that are undone in our life, just know that they're done in God's eyes. It's, it's completed. It's finished in God's eyes. That at the Bema seat, one day... It will be addressed. God will address that. And he will bring in justice. Uh, he will bring in righteousness. And the, the victim will be, will be, um, recompense, there'll be recompensed for the victim. And there's going to be honor where honor was never given. There will be love where love was never shown. And all of these things will be given to us at the Bema seat when we meet Christ. That's our great throne of rectification everything is rectified there and so maybe we, re- we live the rest of our days as a victim in some way or another we don't have to live in that image oh I've been wronged by this church and we've had we've all met people that come you know and then they, you know whenever someone comes to my our church and they say well that other church was so bad and on and on and on it's only a matter of time before they may say the same things about our church because and I, I just never want to hear any negativity about any other church or any other person because I don't want to be, I want the cross to be in, our, in my conversation with, with people. And so the cross is really a fitted, is fitted for us and it heals us and it, is, it's, it has everything that we could ever need. And when I take up a cross and I'm free in the body, I'm free in my work, I'm free in my family, and I have a lot of energy that I didn't have before and a lot of joy. And, you know, it doesn't happen all at once. And we may fail 72 times. And we may stand up and have that one, one-time victory. But I like that verse in Micah 7, verse 8. Micah, had just, Micah, a man of God, had just miserably in some way, we don't know, but he had failed. And he said these words, Rejoice not over me, 
my my enemy because I will I will stand up again. Let's read it because I want to get that right. Micah seven verse eight. And we just close with this. This is what the cross says. You know, Jesus was crucified, and Jesus. I'm sure he was thinking of these words in Micah chapter seven as he was being unjustly crucified, unjustly killed. Micah seven. Rejoice not against me, verse 8, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. Remember this verse next time you fall flat on your face, and I'm going to remember this verse myself. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Isn't that amazing? And then Micah was in trouble. He was in trouble. In verse 9, it says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause. I like that. Until he plead my cause. What does that mean? That means that in the Trinity, there was someone that was going to be pleading Micah's cause. And who was that? Jesus, our intercessor, our lawyer. He is, he is our, he pleads our case. You ever have a court case and you're just like, and you got a lawyer? <laughs> and you're like, okay, plead my case. And they, they do an awesome job. They plead your case. And they do a fantastic job, and you win. Maybe that doesn't always happen. But our lawyer, Jesus Christ, always wins. And, and, and he will plead my cause and execute judgment for me. Is that beautiful? He will execute judgment for me. That means, what's the execution of judgment? That means that, that, means that Jesus will present the blood. When I'm being chastised, maybe, in my life, Jesus brings the blood, and he shows it. And he will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. Then she that is my enemy shall see it. Interesting that the word here is she is my, that is my enemy. I don't know why, what that is in the Hebrew, but maybe, I don't know what that is. But then she that is my enemy shall see it, and the shame shall cover her with which said unto me, Where is the Lord thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her. Now shall... She be trodden down as the mire of the streets. Isn't that amazing? And in that day thy walls are to be built. And in that day shall the decree be far removed. And so God fights for us. That's the cross. That's the cross that Jesus died for us. And God fights for us. And that's why whenever there's an issue in our life, we can just go to God and go to the cross and say, God, and I read somewhere, I don't know who said this, but I think that God allows things in our life so that he can show himself to be our rescuer. He allows the storms to rage and for us to start to sink so that he can show us that he's our rescuer. And that's really the refuge that we have in the cross. Amen.